Welcome to Knowledgeable Aging. I'm your host, Jason Kotar. Joining us today to talk about five tips to help you feel more safe and secure online is Dr. Galena Reitz. Dr. Reitz is the Faculty Program Director at the University of Maryland College of Information Studies. Dr. Reitz joined the iSchool after 12 years as a faculty member and administrator at the University of Maryland, Baltimore County. Dr. Reitz has presented her research at venues around the country and internationally, as well as, as, well as consulted with technology companies on the design and de new devices of older persons. How are you doing today, Dr. Reitz? I'm well. How are you, Jason? Very good. Well, I'm looking forward to our conversation. Thank you for joining us. Um, before we get started, for those joining us live, uh, type your questions in. Time permitting, we will do everything in our power to get your questions answered. So, Dr. Reitz, I'm going to turn it over to you. Five tips to help you feel more safe and secure online. Thanks, Jason. Good afternoon, everyone. I think this is a pertinent topic for all of us now that we are practically all virtual in our homes in front of our screens. I think uh, now more than ever, it's really important to think about what are some ways that we could feel more comfortable, safe and secure and protected while surfing online, shopping online, ordering, doing our online banking, connecting with others. Now more than ever, it's really critical to make sure that we are not taking an all or nothing approach. So today I have five simple yet effective, effective tips in making sure that your computer is safeguarded, you feel comfortable browsing um, on your desktop, but also on your mobile devices, and really generally kind of making sure that you're not selling and providing your data to these big companies, which um, are really kind of looking for all of your personal information and gathering lots of intel on your personality, your spending habits. So I'm hoping that after today, you'll get a little bit of insight and feel a little bit better in managing your online presence. So our first tip today is how to spot a scam. And you may be thinking, oh, I'm very well-versed. I know when I see something where an email is coming from a prince who's telling me to share my bank information, and I absolutely agree. I think most of us are pretty well-versed in kind of gauging when we have an incoming email or a friend re request on Facebook that we know it's not familiar, this is not somebody that we know, we can spot a fake. But to be honest with you, even myself when I received, as you can see on the screen, the Verizon message, I had to take a, a second and a third look because it looked genuine. I was thinking, wow, I may be receiving a, a free iPad Pro, I'm a Verizon customer. And so what these attacks are called, um, they are spear phishing. So um, long story short, these online scammers really know who to target. And so when we're talking about a population's older adults, they're very much prone to spear phishing because these scammers really know how to target. And they know that you may be living home alone, that you may have a grandchild. And so they really know how to pull on your heartstrings. And what I'm hoping that you do is really change your behavior. I think we are all or nothing. What I'm seeing is we feel frightened. We want to make sure that our information is safeguarded and protected. And so we completely disengage. And when we see emails, we delete them. Or when there's a friend request saying, hello, we haven't spoken since high school, you automatically may think this is not genuine and delete it. However, I think now, as I mentioned, as we are more virtual and online, we have to find a more balanced approach because we have to interact with these online systems. And 
and in today's world, it's effective, it's important, and can be life-changing and life-saving sometimes. So when you see something, such as some of the examples that I have on the screen, I think you need to ask yourself, is this genuine or is this fake? And as I said, I think a lot of us do this initially, but digging a little bit deeper. Well, if this is coming from, let's say, someone who is a high school friend, why not try to find uh, whether you have another email from them and see if you can match up that email to the one that they're um, logging in through their Facebook Facebook account. So it takes a little bit of investigation, but honestly, those couple of minutes of digging into whether this is genuine, genuine or not could really be life-changing. And so changing our behavior, I think, is really critical. And now with COVID, as I said, being online, these scammers are exploiting us even more so than before. They know that we're reading about COVID and vaccines and about healthcare. And so there's lots more emails coming in that may be targeting and, as I said, spear phishing a particular population that may be more vulnerable to these attacks. So making sure that you read what it says. So with the Verizon email, I could tell almost right away that the web address did not seem right. It didn't say verizon.com slash, you know, your uh, customer reward program. It was a convoluted website. And so looking at the top of the, the search bar, making sure that you sort of are a little bit more uh, critical in terms of where this information is coming for uh, coming from is really critical. The email actually, this was a friend from Todd James who was giving me a very long description of how he has a great business proposal. Honestly, at first, uh, this seemed relatively genuine. And of course you read on and you kind of get the sense that this is malicious, but it takes a little bit of time and change of behavior. And so once you determine that something is not genuine, what do you do next? Well, you try to find the source. You try to figure out whether this is coming from where you, you think is coming from. And honestly, a, a lot of um, our emails and a lot of our software programs and apps have a way to send this information to um, and report it. I think this is really a great way to make sure this doesn't happen to you or others is to report this. So with email, you can send it directly to spam, certain apps, you can just go to their uh, FAQ or contact us and say, look, I'm receiving this from your application. For example, Facebook is really great about reporting and what are some next steps that you can take. So kind of paying it forward. So being conscious, changing your behavior, thinking about where is this coming from and protecting yourself and, um, and others is really important. So tip number two is practicing safe browsing. And as I said, for most of us, it's all or nothing. We have a desktop PC, we have a tablet, it comes with a particular browser, let's say Safari or Chrome, for example, which is the Google browser, and you use it, you feel like you're safe and protected, but truthfully, you're not. And so much like you wouldn't visit dangerous neighborhoods physically, you shouldn't be visiting dangerous neighborhoods online. And safe browsing really is important and it takes a couple of steps to protect yourself but just being more conscious is really important and being a selective sharer you may know this but as you're typing even in you know, facebook search bar actually it 
practically in any search bar. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you delete that those words. Those words have been captured by the company. So that's important data that they're using. So it is. It does take a little bit of time. But if you do enjoy using Facebook or social media or Instagram, going through their privacy settings is cumbersome and time consuming. But it's something that we should all be doing. So my recommendation for safe browsing is to utilize DuckDuckGo, which is a great Safari add-on, or you can install it on your mobile phone. They have it for both iPhone and Android devices. It's very safe. You're not being tracked. And so you may notice that you're not receiving strange ads anymore, that you really kind of get different types of search results because you're utilizing something that's not Google. So it's very easy to install. I've given you some screenshots on sort of where to find it on your mobile device, but just Google DuckDuckGo, kind of browse around. And the really great thing about this particular uh, software is that on the top of each website, it gives you a rating much like in school, A plus, A, B, B minus. So it's a great way to know the website that you're surfing, what is its rating? So if you see something with a D, you know it's not very safe and it will, it's also color coded. So if it's green, you feel better. If it's red, you really kind of know that they are probably stealing a lot of your data. So a lot of uh, websites like Google, for example, do collect our metadata, which is all of those kind of information that's on the back end that you're not really thinking about sharing. So I heard this recently, but we really are employees of these companies. We are working for them. We are providing them so much information. And so changing our behavior once again is really critical. Like I said, it's a little bit of time con consumption, but I promise that you will see a change in what's being provided to you and the information that, that's being provided to you. So practicing safe browsing is, is really important. And what I recommend is a data detox. Much like we take care of our physical health, we should do this online as well. So we have to practice healthy browsing. And I urge you to go to myactivity.google.com. And I think you will be shocked at how much private information Google has been co collecting. And yes, you are able to delete it, but it's um, it's a little bit scary to see what you're sharing with these big companies. So safe browsing is really key. In addition to safe browsing, and you have heard this, making sure that you're adding strong passwords to all of your applications when you're creating new accounts, and a lot of software, a lot of apps, a lot of online retailers are very good at urging you to kind of not have a password that you've used in, in the past, changing your password every so often. But it is really our responsibility to make sure that we're not using our kids' names with their birth dates at the end. And yes, I am 100% guilty of that. So a great way to do this is to use a password manager. And once again, now more than ever, we need to be utilizing online delivery like Instacart and Grubhub and Amazon and being at home. We have to be engaging with these online systems. So making sure that we have strong passwords that nobody can hack is really important. My recommendation is LastPass. It's a great tool. Uh, there are free options for the software. You can install it on both your desktop PC, on your tablets, on your mobile device. There's also a couple of 
other options like Keeper and Dashlane. I think doing a little bit of research, browsing, seeing what works for your needs is really important, but it's a great way to not have to have a little book next to your computer with all of your passwords <laughs> written down. I think those days should be over. Burn that book, get an online password manager, and make sure that you're protecting yourself. And honestly, none of us can remember hundreds of different passwords. It's impossible, which is why these companies are thriving. And as I said, now we're digital more than ever. And it's really important to kind of combine all of these practices in order for us to feel a little bit better. And yes, once again, it is time consuming, but it's something that we should really consider. And you, um, it, you know, it's, the learning curve is not very steep. You just download, let's say, LastPass. You download it to your computer. You create one kind of general password to log in. But you can do this uh, on your mobile device as well. And what I have found to be very useful, for example, if you do um, are a little bit apprehensive to download some of some of the software, you could just, for example, on the on the iPhone, you can open a Word document in your notes. You can store some sensitive information and you can password protect that particular note. I don't have screenshots of that, but it's very easy. It's intuitive. And if you don't feel like going through all of these steps, like downloading LastPass or, or Dashlane, just create a password protective note in your phone that only you know something complicated that you will remember and maybe try kind of storing all of your passwords in, in that way first before uh, kind of jumping into to um, uh, software like, like Keeper. So I urge you to keep that balance between not being online and not kind of entering personal information, but also giving in a little bit. I think now more than ever, we need that interaction. We need to be in the, in the online world. And so practicing some of these, these behaviors, I think can be very helpful. So my tip number four is obviously something that we're all worried about, which is securing our payments, shopping online, providing our personal data, credit card numbers, social security numbers. And if you are comfortable with making payments through the phone or sending in a check, I have to say it is absolutely secure to do this with your bank on your mobile device. So I urge you to try it and I think feel a little bit comfortable, maybe have somebody guide you through the process, but also be, of course, vigilant in terms of what's on your statements and looking at your sort of uh, mobile payment transactions. I think taking this these behaviors into our own hands is what's really key. And yes, it takes a little bit of time. Some of us, like myself, have taken one hour out of the week to entirely focus on all of these practices. So it is something that you consciously have to do. So some of my recommendations for online shopping are, yes, please continue to online shop. I think now more than ever, it's the safer thing to do than going into a store or having somebody shop for you. So what I would recommend is don't input your debit card, always pay with a credit card. And if you are comfortable, if you have an Apple device, Apple Wallet is a great way to enter your credit card information and Apple actually masks it for you. So they are not sharing your real credit card number with the retailer. It's a virtual credit card. And so a digital wallet is a great way to do this. Google has a digital wallet. So if you trust Google, you can enter some of your credit cards with them. They will mask them. And then ultimately 
let's say if you're shopping at Nordstrom, they will give Nordstrom a different credit card number than your actual one. So it's a little bit more difficult for scammers and hackers to actually get your personal information. Track your packages. All of us are on Amazon. If you're not, you should be. It's easy, it's convenient. It's a great way to, to get lots of um, uh, products and services at home. And you just have to be diligent in looking at your order history. I actually just had a friend who had 15 packages said that they were delivered to her home and they were not. And so hackers are really good at sort of masking where some of these um, boxes are going to in terms of delivery addresses. So so being uh, diligent and Amazon is a, is a huge company. They're very good at sort of, you know, securing your payment and making sure that some of these things don't happen. But if they do, you report it right away. You get to speak to to somebody at Amazon and they can alleviate some of those issues. So track your orders and track your packages. The next step is to provide as little information as possible to these online retailers. Sometimes they will want your address, your three previous homes, and the names of your dogs. But I would suggest try to enter as little information as possible. If something is required, let's say, of course, your name, or if you have to create a username, try not to use your first and last name. Make something up, uh, a childhood uh, nickname or something completely random. So that way it's a little bit more difficult to actually gather any information about you. If you have Galena Reeds, then that's pretty much, they know exactly who I am. And it's not that difficult to, to dig up information on me. So be diligent about making sure that you're not oversharing. And this is also with social media. Don't post your travel plans. Don't, um, if you are interested in Facebook groups, don't post a lot of personal information. So all of that could link back to payment information. So making sure you're, you secure yourself online is really important. Now with COVID, with uh, if we're having new health conditions, we're always sort of looking for maybe new medications or vitamins and going on new websites and purchasing new things, but try to vet new to you business. And what I mean by that is, yes, go to the good old Better Bureau website, check on the particular company, whether they're reputable, that's a great way to make sure that you're not being scammed. And yes, we have heard of many times, you are shopping on a website, you are, purchasing something and then you get a box and it's not what you expected and because it was sent from overseas you are unable to return it so just being diligent in terms of who you're shopping with trusted retailers that's really key and the last important tip is to incorporate two-factor authentication where you can and what I mean by that is the simplest example is with your gmail you have a password, you enter it. However, if you enable two-factor authentication through Gmail, once you log in, you will be sent a text message and you have to reply with a code or just simply click, yes, this is me on your mobile device and your Gmail will open. So not a lot of websites provide the service. There are 
some third-party uh, apps. They could sort of help you with two-factor authentication, but wherever it is available, I really encourage you. Yes, it's cumbersome. It's yet another step that you have to take, but it is really important. So if you can, I think the first thing you should do is enable two-factor authentication on your Gmail or your email uh, on your email agent. So it's a great way to make sure that if somebody is trying to hack your email account, first of all, they can't because you have to authorize it from another device. And usually that's your, that's your mobile device. So my last tip, and I have to say it's probably the most underrated, but the most important is to get an antivirus. And I was speaking to a colleague and we were both thinking that as of lately, I think, People forget and often forget to install an antivirus. I think for a long time in the 2000s, like Norton and McAfee were very popular. Everybody had an antivirus, but now we think, oh, I have a Mac. I'm very well protected. The Mac software is secure. Truthfully, that's not the case. You need an extra level of protection. There's some really great options for an antivirus and you get all kinds of protection with the software it's not just viruses but it's trojans is those stories that you he you hear about uh, computers being taken over for ransom so ransomware and then you have to pay a fee in order for the hackers to release your computer so an antivirus can really protect you from all of those issues an antivirus also has a firewall, which is a great way to make sure that incoming and outgoing traffic is monitored, that you're, if somebody is trying to enter your computer, they're not able to because of that firewall. And the really wonderful thing about antiviruses these days is that you can have it for every uh, piece of hardware that you own. It could be for your iPad, for your computer, on your mobile phone. So you're protected on every single device. And I've given you a couple of options. Kaspersky is something that I personally have been using lately, but the the good old Norton McAfee, there's some new new ones like Malwarebytes, which is also very good. And I have to say, most of them do have free options, but if you can, I would uh, try to grab the paid version. Yes, it does, it, it is costly, but it acts, it adds a bunch of layers of protection that I think um, are really needed. And so uh, Nor Norton, for example, also offers cloud backup, which is really wonderful. So if, for example, your computer is taken for ransom, you're, you have a backup of your entire system. So pictures, sensitive information, um, all of that uh, data can be recovered once your computer is released from the ransomware. If you have to, let's say, take it to Best Buy or Geek Squad and they, they release it, you are now able to download all of your personal sensitive information from the cloud. So that's really helpful. They also pro uh, provide malware protection. Uh, this is for phishing attacks, as I mentioned, for spear phishing attacks. Sometimes you, when you do get an email, if you have, let's say, McAfee, it will give you a little notification and say, you should think about whether this is coming from a reputable source. So it's a great way to kind of feel that sense of security without having to do a lot. So it's uh, multiple layer, layers of protection. I think it's completely underrated and so important. And I think when you're utilizing a combination of all of these practices, you can feel better 
uh, about your online experience. Very good, Thanks. Dr. Eats. A couple different questions. Um, you talked about the data detox. How frequently should you do that? You should do it ideally weekly, which I know can sound absolutely cumbersome. And going through Facebook and Instagram and all of your social media accounts and going to the privacy settings and dumping all of it, all of that data is time consuming. So if you don't make it a practice, if you don't make it a habit, I think you are working for Facebook. You are working for Instagram. So make it part of your life, just like you exercise or you drink your coffee in the morning or maybe if you're taking a walk, just do it when you're holding your phone and it just becomes a habit. So once a week ideal, once a month is okay. Very good. What about um, caregivers or loved ones that have an aging parent that is not near them? What tips or ideas can you give them as far as to help their parent feel a little bit more secure online? Sure, I think uh, all of these practices, so um, if you are remote, I think this is sort of a, a secret that not a lot of people know about, but if you have a Mac, if you have an Apple computer, in the accessibility settings, you actually are able to take control over somebody's computer, obviously with their permission. So if you Google that, it's step-by-step -step on the Apple website, really sort of walks you through how you can take control, and then you have access in, of your loved one's computer, you can install antiviral software, you can download Mozilla Firefox for them so they can browse safely, you can uh, have them use DuckDuckGo, and if you have the knowledge, you can incorporate those practices and it will be seamless. They'll just start using them and really not notice the difference. So um, with Windows, there's also options. I think they're not, they're third party pieces of software where you can take control of somebody's computer, but that's a great way to safeguard somebody else who, who's remote. Yeah. I wanna talk about cookies. Um, I, I see those a lot whenever I'm on a website. Should, should I reject them? Should I accept? What happens when I, when I accept cookies? So sometimes you're forced to accept the cookies. And I think if you have, uh, let's say Norton, or if you have malware bytes, you we need cookies in, or, in order to serve uh, certain websites. And um, I think sometimes they get a bad rap that they're malicious. Yes, they're collecting data. I personally am not uh, that offended when I have to accept cookies because I, for my purposes, you know, it's saving some of my personal data, yes, but next time, if it's a frequent website that I log on all the time, it makes it a little bit easier to kind of go back and auto-populate some of those um, fields that I don't feel like entering. If I was really safeguarded and protected, I would reject everything and kind of enter new information every time, but I'm a little bit indifferent about cookies. Okay. <laughs> You've given, you've given a lot of good advice here as far as tips. So if you've got somebody who's not technologically savvy, could you just pick out one or two of those things to say, hey, look, you at least need to have antivirus or maybe a DuckDuckGo. So is, are there just a couple of things if you said, hey, just at least get started, do one or two of these? Absolutely. I would actually urge just browsing and maybe looking through a couple of online tutorials on okay. how to do things. I know that I went through some of these practices relatively quickly and you may be thinking, well, I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to download um, antiviral software. Um, I've been working with some of our local senior centers where we are doing webinars. So maybe reach out to the local library. There's some really great 
um, Zoom sessions that you can actually have one-on-one -on -one where somebody teaches you some of these practices and they take, obviously they take some time. And so utilizing some of those free resources is great. And if you are worried about safety and security and you're thinking, well, I don't think I can handle safeguarding my desktop, I would say if you feel more comfortable using a tablet, there's not, there's not that much of a chance of actually getting sort of hacked, the hardware being hacked on a tablet. But once again, if you are using uh, Gmail, what I would say top two is uh, two-factor authentication on your email making sure you have strong passwords and yes definitely antivirus i'd like to last question doctor i'd like to talk a little bit more about passwords because as you were talking about you were guilty of using your your little ones so for those of us that don't have the the software we don't have we don't download the software for the password companies how often do you recommend that we should change our passwords like you said you don't want to use the book where you know you're updating it every month but just as a general rule, what would you think ideally you should be uh, considering changing your password? How often? Well, uh, I think so for, let's say, my university email, they mandate that I have to change my password every two or three months. So I think that's okay. pretty good practice, even if you do it once every six months. And even if it's not such a big change, actually, what I've been doing lately is, let's say, if there's an I in my password, I will change that to an exclamation point. So those are sort of easy things to remember. So I don't have to change the entire phrase, but let's say if my password is Galena, I will do capital G, A, L, exclamation point, N, A. And so it becomes more confusing. It's a little bit more difficult, but still it's something that, that I can remember. So if I'm not using my black book or my notepad that's this password protected on my phone, it's a good way to remember. So the more often that you do it, the better, but we all have other things to do. So just kind of changing little things I think is easy. So you so you are not advocating for the password that's one, two, three, four? Is that, that, that you wouldn't say that's very, uh, it's very safe or secure? No, and actually there's a great, if, you, if you're on YouTube, there's a great bit I think by Jimmy Kimmel where he goes around the street and he asks people for all of their private information and they completely surrender it. So I, it, it's uh, social engineering. It's so fascinating and interesting. We're all victim of it, I think. So I would recommend don't use password one, two, three. Okay, very good. Well, Dr. Reitz, how can people find you? Please drop me an email, gmreads at umd.edu. Happy to talk further, and I'm always excited to hear about new ideas and things that you've discovered, so please keep in touch. Very good. So as far as Knowledgeable Aging, uh, we have uh, live webinars every week, so um, go to our YouTube page, type in Knowledgeable Aging, encourage you to, subs to subscribe. We update the YouTube page probably four or five times a week with, with different content. Um, you can also find us on our podcast. So if you have iTunes, Spotify, et cetera, you can find us there. Till next time, I'm your host, Jason Kotar, and this is Knowledgeable Aging.